is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I am back, both guns blazing. I want to thank Brian Mudd and Dan Bongino, two great friends, two great hosts, and great patriots for filling in. But here I be, and tonight, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. 9.30 p.m. Eastern um, on the uh, Fox News Channel on Hannity, uh, where I'm going to be talking about this memo issue. And trust me when I tell you I was grinding my teeth all day Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to speak to this, given your and my uh, significant role in some of these underlying issues. But first, I know the stock market went down 1,175 points. And they'll tell you it's the largest single-day drop ever. But the fact is, as a percentage of the drop of the stock market, it is not. It's just that the stock market has gone so high, it can drop fairly significantly. And you could still be in the plus over the course of 12-month period or 18-month period or 24-month period. So whatever you do, don't panic. As a matter of fact, do what I do. Ignore it. Pretty much ignore it because you don't want to start selling your stocks while they're dropping. It's like real estate. You buy low and sell high. If you want to go broke, you buy high and you sell low. You just have to have some guts and hang in there. This is also why I talk about diversification all the time. If you can. Now, most of us don't invest directly in the stock market. We have pension funds, uh, which do, which we have little control over, right? Um, and so they hopefully diversify into this, that, and the other thing. But this is also why I'm a believer in other things like gold and silver. Not that you should plunge all your money into it. You shouldn't. You should diversify. Diversify. A little here and a little there. You get an extra piece of real estate, maybe that's a good thing. With a little rental property, that's a good thing. You just don't want to be invested all in one thing. Look, I'm not a financial advisor. This is common sense. This is how I handle my own money. Then something else happened. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, Mr. Producer. Was it the Super Bowl yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Well, I was on the plane for half of it, but I finally, my wife and I finally landed, and uh, we saw most of the second half. And I have to say, as a Philadelphia native, uh-oh, here he goes. Don't don't tune out. I got a lot to talk about on the memo, so just hang around. I know Boston, I know a lot of you don't like the Eagles, but you have to understand, for me, for my family, we don't win anything in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, despite its great basketball teams, some decent baseball teams, it's a football city. That's what it is. It's a football city. Well, it's a boxing city, too, but it's a football city. So this is a big deal for Philadelphia. 
But uh, it was, I mean, I was asking people around the Levin TV studio today. They thought it was great. Most of those guys are not Eagles fans. You know, they're Redskins fans. And by the way, I'm a Redskins fan, too. I really do. I like the Redskins. And uh, a lot of them are from the Baltimore area, so the Ravens fans or this, that, and the other. And uh, they thought it was a great game. I thought it was an unbelievable game. Absolutely unbelievable. But we'll talk about that a little more in the third hour if I remember. But man, oh man. I'll tell you what, the pregame shows were pathetic. Sitting at the airport, we're watching these things. Patriots, Patriots, and the Patriots this, and then the Patriots, and Belichick, and Brady, and Brady, and Belichick. Let me tell you. The greatest pair ever. Got it. But that doesn't mean that that's all you talk about in the lead up to uh, this particular Super Bowl. But the Eagles played all four quarters. They had an unbelievable, uh, well, I have to say, Foles is an unbelievable story. And, well, anyway, I want to get into this memo. I've been chomping at the bit. I read this memo a couple times. You know, when it first came out on Friday, Mr. Producer, we put it up, my comment up on Facebook and Twitter, and my comment first was what? That, wait a minute, on the one hand, on the one hand, the Democrats say that this will reveal sources and techniques and classified information and national security information. The FBI director said it would be a grave mistake. None of that was true. And then on the other hand, they kept saying, it's a dud. They like that word. It's a dud. There's nothing in here. Comey said, you know, what's the big deal? He's a big uh, tweeter now. He's actually a twerper. He's a twerp. So as I pointed out on my social sites on Friday, they're schizophrenic about this. It's a damning memo. I've read people who've tried to downplay it. I've read people who've, you need to know these five points. You need to know these seven points. You need to know these three points. Okay, got it. But I do my own analysis. I don't need somebody else's points to point me in the right direction. I'm going to start with the last paragraph. I'm going to start with the last paragraph. And it's this. That the people who were involved in knowing, in knowing about the FISA applications and signing off on the FISA applications, the people who were involved included the Attorney General of the United States, Loretta Lynch, the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, Yates, Susan Yates, the Director of the FBI, Comey, the Deputy Director of the FBI, McCabe. Now, there were others who knew too. But these are top people who knew. There was also Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein. Not Susan Yates, Sally Yates. So you have Sally Yates, Rosenstein, Loretta Lynch, Comey, McCabe. What do Comey, McCabe have in common? Well, they're leakers. They're leakers. Loretta Lynch, of course, she ran to the Phoenix airport to meet with Bill Clinton on the tarmac to tip him off that Hillary was in the clear. 
Yates is a political hack, is acting attorney general. She refused to defend the president's very defensible positions on his refugee executive orders. So these are highly partisan political individuals in law enforcement positions. In law enforcement positions. This explains a lot. I don't know who, and I can't point specifically to one or two or five people. There is Stroke, the notorious agent Stroke, who was head of counterintelligence at the FBI, a leaker by his own texts. His girlfriend, Lisa Page, a leaker by her own texts. Stroke, Page, McCabe, Comey. People all in the know. All in the know. And so when I read this memo, I was piecing it back together the March 2nd when I was on the radio with you folks, March 2nd of last year. And there were some of these sporadic news articles, remember? Which kept mentioning these FISA filings. One in the summer that was unsuccessful, one in October that was successful. And we talked about that. And I discussed it on Fox and Friends Sunday, and I discussed it on Hannity the next Monday, so the March 2nd, 5th, 6th. I didn't make this stuff up. I It wasn't all over the media, but it was in some of these media areas, which meant it had been leaked by the senior people at the FBI, by the senior people at the Justice Department, one or more, to the media to try and make Trump look bad before the general election. To continue to push this Russia collusion narrative, to try and drag Donald Trump into that Russia collusion narrative with the hope that it would defeat him. All during this time, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the President of the United States, and our intelligence agencies knew for a fact that Russia was trying to interfere with our election. They knew for a fact that they tried to access the RNC database and failed. They knew for a fact they tried to access the DNC database and succeeded. But they knew nothing about any collusion. There wasn't any collusion. Which is exactly why Christopher Steele a foreign agent, an ex-spy for the British government, using his old contacts in the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin's surrogates, pulled together this document that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democrat National Committee, which was laundered through a law firm and laundered through Fusion GPS to try and protect them and cover them. It's exactly why this dossier, this unsubstantiated, vile dossier, was used to get the FISA warrant. Because there was no other basis for getting it. There was no other basis for a claim of collusion. None. So they had to manufacture one. And apparently, we don't have all the records, they go in front of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, a judge. 
with, among other things, as the memo points out, newspaper articles, a very, very pathetic, thin case, except for the dossier. And they conceal from the judge the funding source of the dossier. They conceal from the judge that it was opposition research. They conceal this from the judge. Which is pretty amazing. Christopher Steele on his own is pushing this document in every possible direction because he hates Trump. And here you have an ex-spy for Britain trying to influence our election. Let me repeat it. A leftist ex-spy for Britain on the payroll of Fusion GPS trying to influence the outcome of our election. So it is he who colludes with Russians. He, the hired gun of Fusion GPS, which is the hired gun of the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. It is they who collude with a British ex-spy and consequently collude with Russian operatives to affect the outcome of this election. It is the leadership of the FBI under James Comey, under Andrew McCabe, who seek to further influence the outcome of this election. They seek to influence the outcome of this election by using the dossier, which includes Russian disinformation. This is an old-style Soviet trick, the old Soviet Union. Now, I bring this up, and I've been bringing this up for almost a year, to protect the tradition and institution of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Democrats could give a damn about the FBI any more than they can give a damn about the Baltimore Police Department, or they can give a damn about the Ferguson Police Department, or they give a damn about the NYPD, or they give a damn about the United States military. They don't give a damn about law enforcement any more than they give a damn about the military. This isn't about the FBI for them. This has nothing to do with the FBI as far as they're concerned. Now I'm going to tell you something nobody else has told you, so tomorrow all the geniuses can go on the radio and TV and tell you how they thought of it. And that's pretty much been the pattern for the last 10 or 11 months in this investigation, as I've been breaking it down and unraveling it. They just don't have the experience I have. And that's okay. But don't believe them. Why are the Democrats circling the wagon? Why are the Praetorian Guard media circling the wagon? What's happening? I'm going to give you the answer when we return. Mark Lovin. trying to protect well who hasn't been asked about any of this we are 
battling the highest levels of the FBI. We are battling parts of the Department of Justice. We are battling the media. We are battling the Democrats. Look how aggressively the Praetorian Guard media is attacking this memo. Look how aggressively the Democrats are defending the FBI. They hate the FBI. They hate all law enforcement. I'll tell you exactly what's going on here. And remember this day when I tell you too. The protecting Obama and the protecting Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton paid for the dossier. The Democrat National Committee paid for the dossier. Hillary Clinton has not been asked in any aggressive or resolute way about this. She denies knowing anything about it, and that's that. Well, that's not that. But even more, Barack Obama. Barack Obama knew what's going on. And I'm going to tell you how he knew what was going on. At least in a general yet substantive way, I will tell you how he knew what was going on. When we return. Plastic, conservative, fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Barack Obama had to know at least generally what was taking place for multiple reasons. And he's the one the Democrats are protecting the most. He's the one the media are protecting the most. And oddly enough, it's Donald Trump who's in their crosshairs. As if he knows any of this, and he knows almost none of it. Number one. The Attorney General of the United States, Loretta Lynch. She knew about it. She wasn't bashful about revealing information. She met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac in Phoenix to let him know that his wife was in the clear. The idea that an attorney general of the United States, as political as she was, wouldn't inform the president of the United States of what's taking place with these FISA applications and then the FISA warrant, to me, is preposterous. Number two, the deputy attorney general of the United States at the time, Sally Yates, extremely political as she demonstrated when she refused to defend President Trump's refugee executive orders, which were constitutional. She refused to do it. She knew about the relevant FISA application. Number three, FBI Director Comey at the time. He knew about the FISA application. Number four, the Deputy FBI Director McCabe. He knew about the FISA application. We know that Comey is a serial leaker. I don't know what he leaked in relation to this. We know that McCabe is a leaker. I don't know what he leaked in relation to this, but we know they all despised Trump. The senior level of the FBI obstructed the Hillary Clinton investigation. Let's be blunt. What else do you call it? But there were FISA leaks, sporadic and pinpointed, to the media. To the media. It had to come from the people who knew about it. 
I don't believe for a minute that the senior level White House staff wasn't told about it. This was a counterintelligence investigation where Carter Page was being accused in order to get the warrant of being an agent of Russia. So you have to assume the director of the National Security Council knew about it, Susan Rice. You have to assume the deputy director of the National Security Council knew about it, Ben Rhodes. I don't know who did exactly or who didn't, but it's easy enough to find out. They're not going to come on my program. But there's no reason Congress can't find out, and I'll get to that in a minute. So Lynch, Yates, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page, they all knew about the FICE application. Would they have kept that secret from the President of the United States? Would they have kept that secret from Susan Rice and Ben Rhodes? Why? Why would they have done that? Moreover, if I found pieces of this in the media, you have to assume the president's press team found pieces of this in the media, even if for some ridiculous, ridiculous reason he wasn't aware of it directly from his own people. There it was. If I could piece it together from public records, they could piece it together from public records. Number three, as I said on March 2nd, the President of the United States receives a daily briefing on the intelligence issues of the prior day. The presidential daily briefing. This was a counterintelligence espionage operation relating to Trump world. I don't believe again for one second that that information at some point in some way wasn't provided to the President of the United States through the daily presidential briefing. And I've said from day one, Congress needs to fight to get the relevant copies of that material from the presidential daily briefing. In other words, there's no way Obama didn't know. There's no way Obama didn't know about the applications and the actual securing of the warrant. There's no way. And yet he's never asked about it. And he's the one the Democrat Party's protecting. And he's the one the Praetorian media are protecting. He's the one that they're worried about. Because the truth is, Barack Obama was president of the United States when the Russians were trying to interfere with our election. And what did he do? Next to nothing. Did he tell the American people? No. Why didn't he tell the American people? Because he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, run away with the election, and he didn't want you to think, the American people, that her election was in any way adversely, uh, I mean, uh, positively affected by Russian involvement. That's why he kept his mouth shut. Not because they were afraid that it would be viewed as politicizing it. Quite the opposite. They politicized it by keeping quiet and not telling the American people. 
starting to make sense now, isn't it? And the sick irony of all this is, it's Donald Trump who's being accused of collusion without any evidence whatsoever. None. Because he didn't collude with the Russians. Oh, they said, oh, look, his son had a meeting with Russians. His son didn't have a dossier from Russians to use against Hillary Clinton, now did he? The RNC didn't pay for a dossier, did it. The Trump campaign didn't pay for a dossier, did it. It didn't try and cover it up by laundering it through a, a friendly law firm and then another organization, did it. No, they didn't. That's what's taking place here. And this is why the media are conducting themselves the way the media are. They hate Donald Trump. Don't get me wrong. They hate Donald Trump. I was the first one to tell you the day after the election, they're going to try and impeach him, and they're going to try and prosecute him, and I'm not going to play all that for you again. But this is a twofer for them. They hate Donald Trump. But they need to protect Obama. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as I said on March 2nd, March 5th, March 6th, and thereafter, these are police state tactics. Police state tactics. Domestic political surveillance of your political opponents, the abuse of federal law enforcement, the abuse of the FISA process, the abuse of a warrant, This is a a scandal like none we've ever seen. And yet the perpetrators are treated as the victims. And you see, the media are never going to report on this in any accurate way. Not only do the media agree with what the perpetrators were doing, the media were the beneficiaries. The media were publishing this information, being leaked to them by the FBI and the Department of Justice and the White House. I specifically remember a New York Times story pointing out that information had been shared with the White House. They're protecting their sources. They're protecting their sources. The media do not care about classified information. How many times have I said, now the others are burping it up, remember the Pentagon Papers. They couldn't wait to publish the Pentagon Papers, classified information. They didn't give a damn what the Defense Department said or the FBI Department said or or anybody else. And they still don't. Look how the media have published. The name of Michael Flynn, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, whose name was unmasked by a Clinton administration official who still has not been hunted down and prosecuted. And I haven't even gotten to the intelligence side of this. The media are more than happy to report state secrets. They do it all the time. And they award themselves Pulitzer Prize for it. So they don't really care about the FBI. They don't really care about the sanctity of the FISA court or the FISA application or the hardworking men and women who are out there. They could care less. 
And by the way, neither could the Democrats. You have the Democrat Party that will not fund the military. One dollar for the Marines requires one dollar for food stamps. How many more times do I have to say it? They feel exactly the same way about the FBI. They hate local law enforcement. They're always talking about criminal justice reform, which means letting criminals out of jail. They're marching constantly against the cops. What are we, fools? We know what the hell's going on here. Care about the FBI. And there they are. They're dressing them. You know, you Republicans, you're attacking the FBI. No, we're not. We're defending the FBI. We're defending the institution of the FBI. We are defending the men and women of the FBI who've been abused and are being used by the Comeys and the McCabes and all the rest of the leftists, political activists, partisans, who've taken over the top levels of that agency. I'll be right back. Now, here's some exciting news. Simply Safe is a company that's been around for many years, and they've transformed it into the fastest growing home security company in the nation. Now they protect over 2 million people. Well, they just released their brand new home security system, the all new Simply Safe. This system has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, downed Wi-Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, everything in between. The all-new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible, with powerful sensors so small you'll hardly even notice them. You know who will notice them? Yes, intruders. Simply Safe spent years building this system. They added a great deal to it. But you still get the same fair and honest price, 24-7 professional protection for only $15 a month. With Simply Safe, there are no long-term contracts. This new system is smaller, faster, stronger than anything they've built before. But supply is very limited. They were backed up a couple of weeks ago. They've picked it up, and they're ready for your order right now. Go to Sim- And by the way, that's the truth. Go to simplysafemark.com right now to order your system. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your home and family today. Simplysafemark.com. Now the Democrats are going to put out their memo. Now, a couple of things. You notice the extensive coverage Adam Schiff receives? Adam Schiff isn't in the majority. Adam Schiff controls nothing, but he has a narrative that the media want to give voice to. And so he's constantly being promoted. Whatever press release he puts out, whatever outrageous statement he makes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And when the President of the United States tweeted out today that, among other things, he's a leaker, notice he didn't deny being a leaker. And notice the media haven't challenged him on being a leaker. And notice also that aspects of the memo were already leaked. They didn't just sit back and wait for the President of the United States to get his five days to check that there's classified information and so forth and so on, did they? Because they play by a wholly separate set of rules. 
the Democrats do not want to get to the bottom of this. Because they're two top Democrats would get stung by it. Would get stung by it. Surely remember well when Donald Trump, uh, after having seen me apparently on Fox and Friends Sunday, when Donald Trump talked about and tweeted out that um, that Obama tapped his wires over there at uh, Trump Tower. Now, the media went apoplectic over his phraseology. I knew, and you knew, his phraseology isn't the point. That the media attack on him was again to smear him in a complete diversion. A complete diversion. They didn't want to talk about surveillance and a FISA warrant. So much so that Brian Stelter at CNN was running interference. Running interference for the FBI. By claiming that I couldn't prove there had been a FISA warrant. Jake Tapper chimed in, defended him. Brian Ross defended him. Joe Scarborough, same thing. And they're all wrong. They've all been demonstrated to be wrong. But nobody circles back and confronts them on it. Nobody. Nobody circles back and confronts them on it. And uh, so the Democrats are going to put out a memo, and let's see what kind of attention that gets from the media. It'll get an enormous amount of attention. You see, Adam Shifty Shiftless, his integrity is never questioned by the media. His hypocrisy is never trotted out by the media. Because Adam Shifty Shiftless is a leftist. He's a progressive, just like they are. He'll never be questioned for what he has said in the past about the FBI and intelligence agencies and what he says now. His memo will be presumed to be correct. Actually, it's Nadler's, but that's a whole other story. Chris Cuomo won't won't dare take him on the way he should be taken on. Don Lemon? No. Wolf Blitzer? No, he's thinking of retirement like a postal worker. Who else? Who's going to take him on? Anyone in MSNBC? No. The media have decided that protecting Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton are more important than anything else. And, of course, simultaneously destroying Donald Trump. They sought to stop stop him from uh, winning the general election. Now they seek to destroy his reputation. He's mentally deranged. He's out with... uh, Porn stars, he's whatever, you know, all the rest of it. And the ultimate goal is a silent coup, that is to remove him. And again, when I first brought up that phrase in the context of Donald Trump, the media jumped and said, look, this kook is talking about a coup. And out of the next breath, they're talking about a coup. The 25th Amendment, impeachment, he's mentally deranged. They drag some woman out of Yale who's more than happy to be used. She's a, a professor of psychiatry going on about uh, derangement and mentally unstable and there's something wrong with the guy. And They've left that for now, but they'll be back. All right. I've told you more about this memo in one hour than most will be able to tell you in one month. 
I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. What about the State Department? What about the State Department? What role did the State Department play in all this? Do we know? Well, um, there may have been a role in the State Department. That's still being looked into. And so, my next comment on this. As you know, I've been saying for some time now, we need a special counsel to investigate this matter. We do. But we need something else. And I had mentioned this to my wife Friday night after the memo came out, and I wasn't on the air, and I told her, we need one of these commissions. And then I heard that Dershowitz mentioned the same thing over the weekend. Obviously, I don't know what's in his head, and he doesn't know what's in mine, but he's right. And I'm right. We need a commission of very serious, objective, experienced, hard-nosed professionals. I'd say five, no more. To closely examine what took place at the highest levels of the FBI and what's still taking place at the highest levels of the FBI. To look at what took place at the Department of Justice. I mean, I've barely scratched the surface. Remember this guy, Orr, who served on the staff of the Deputy Attorney General at the time, Rod Rosenstein? who's still there, and he was in communication with Fusion GPS about the Christopher Steele dossier, and in fact had met with or talked to Steele about the dossier, and his wife worked for Fusion GPS, working on opposition research on the dossier, according to the memo, also something we knew earlier. He's at the second highest level of the Department of Justice. The second highest level of the Department of Justice. You think he's alone? You think he's the only one at the highest levels of the Department of Justice who knew what was going on? No, we know as a matter of fact that's not true. And so, in addition to a special counsel, what's needed here is a commission. Now, I'm not into commissions, but sometimes they can be useful. And not by some namby-pamby Republican, like Trey Gowdy or something like that. No, somebody who is able and undaunting to try and not only get to the bottom of this from a non-criminal perspective, but from a policy perspective, to address it. To address it. That needs to be done, in my view. I mean, the FBI, the FBI, I want you to think about this. That this Christopher Steele was a longtime FBI source, I'm reading from the memo, 
who was paid over $160,000 by the DNC and Clinton campaign via this Perkins Coy law firm through Fusion GPS and this guy, Mark Elias. This guy was a consultant to the FBI. This guy is believed to have been the source of at least one major leak, this steal. He's pushing this stuff out to the media, pushed it out to John McCain and his staff. And then the FBI got rid of him once he leaked again, but he didn't tell them that they were, he was leaking. He leaked to Mother Jones, which is about as radical as it gets. At least he's suspected of it. But when he leaked, suspected of leaking to Yahoo News, that was okay, because apparently the FBI knew about that. And it's amazing how much Jim Comey knew about the dossier, about the FISA applications, about the FISA warrant. When Jim Comey met with President-elect Donald Trump at Trump Tower one-on-one, he insisted on meeting one-on-one, you see, so there'd be no witnesses and he could take notes, claim the contemporary, and then, and then assert that they're actually the truth. They're representative of what took place. It's very, very clever of him. He said months before, I believe it was June or July at a hearing, that the dossier was specious, salacious. Why then did he produce a summary of it and present it to Donald Trump at Trump Tower just a few days before the president, or a few weeks before the president was sworn in in January? Of last year. Why did he do that, Mr. Producer? I think to hold it over Trump's head. That's what I think. He may have said publicly during a hearing that it was salacious and so forth, but if it's salacious, it's to be ignored, why would you make a summary of it and present it to the president one on one other than to say, look what we have here? Look what we have here. There'd be no other reason. There'd be no other reason. And, of course, while he said it was salacious, it was also used, what, to secure a warrant. You folks might also recall, back on January 15th, I was on the uh, Hannity show. Again, a reminder, I will be on Hannity 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight on the Fox News Channel. Well, on January 15th, on January 15th, when I was on with, with Sean... It went like this. Cut one, go. Pfizer, you talk about a post-constitutional America, Mark. Your books on the Constitution are phenomenal. Must read by anybody that cares about it. And we're seeing a presidential candidate fix a primary who gets an exoneration before investigation with Comey and Strzok. I'm talking about Hillary. Who then tries to fix by buying, you know, bought and paid for Russian propaganda... And then that lie, those lies are used to get a FISA warrant against the opposition candidate and an incoming president and his team. If that's not post-constitutional, I don't know what is, Mr. Levin. A couple things about that as an old chief of staff to an attorney general at the Justice Department. First of all, let me say this. As an American citizen, to watch this is repulsive. It's unconscionable. To watch the mob media do what they're doing... Last week, we were told the president was mentally unstable. For months before that, we're told he's colluding with the Russians. Today, we're told, we're told he's a racist. 
So he's colluding with the Russians. He's mentally unstable. He is a racist. And going to start it's a nuclear so war. It's so disgusting. It's so outrageous. What happened to that author, Michael Wolff? Three days ago, he was, he was the in thing. Now he's gone. What happened to uh, all the allegations about the sexual misconduct? Now that's all gone. Now we're on to something new because a known liar, Dick Durbin, leaves a confidential meeting with the president and other senators. He's relied on by the media because they want to rely on him, just like they wanted to rely on that author. They want to push this president out. They talk about the 25th Amendment. They talk about impeachment. This is the Praetorian Guard media. The biggest scandal in our lifetime is staring them in the face. You, I, and a handful of others seem to care about it. And it is this, the politicization of the highest levels of the FBI and the Justice Department, the holdovers from the prior administration. It's not a question if Jim Comey, the former FBI director, leaked. The question is, how much did he leak? It's not a question if he leaked classified information. The question is, how much classified information? He was the director of the FBI, the chief investigator who was, who was hunting down Donald Trump, sending texts to his girlfriend because he's cheating on his wife. And when I used to work at the Justice Department, you did that, you're out. You know why? Because they didn't want you to be blackmailed by, of all people, the Russians. Now we learn there's more texts which appear to suggest he's been leaking to the media. Now we know, because there's a report. The Trump administration, this is as of six months ago, faced 125 leak stories, one leak a day containing information potentially damaging to our national security. Leaks with the capacity to damage national security flowed about seven times as fast as they did under Bush. And the majority of the leaks during the Trump administration, again, this is as of six months ago, 78 concerned the Russian probes. Now, talking about the Russia probe, we have a special counsel who was appointed to do what? To investigate collusion. He's investigating everything but collusion. A special counsel does not exist to investigate financial crimes, whether some guy registered as a, a federal agent or so forth. He's to investigate collusion. Where's your case, Mr. Prosecutor? What's it been, six months, eight months? Give us your collusion case. Mark. Now, in addition to him, yeah. we have uh, this dossier. This isn't a dossier. This is 35 pages of crap that was put together by this Fusion GPS. They, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC collaborated, used their money to use a law firm to hire this guy, who then hires a British ex-spy, who then works with, among others, the Kremlin. That's collusion. They put this thing together, and they work it, and they give it to the FBI. Now, the highest levels of the FBI are very excited to have this. They're even thinking about putting this ex-British spy on their payroll. What do they do with it? I know they used it I to know get they that did FISA too. warrant. In part of, you know how I know, though, Sean? Why won't the FBI director or why won't anyone at the Department of Justice, when they're asked, say, no, it wasn't used? Hey, Mark. Rod Rose All right, see, the point is... Why, when they're asked over and over during various he hearings, including Rod Rosenstein, who signed one of the extensions to this very FISA warrant, why wouldn't they say, no, we didn't use it? Because that wouldn't have been a classified answer. That wouldn't have provided any classified information. No, we didn't use it. What's a big deal? No, I said we didn't use it. But they wouldn't say it. That's how I know. And that's how I knew at the time that they used it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
a little issues with the FBI in the past. You may have heard of Watergate. You may have heard of Deep Throat. And there really is an excellent book on this subject and an excellent author who's written extensively after significant research on the topic, Max Holland. And he wrote this great book, Leak, Why Mark Felt Became Deep Throat. Now, Mark Felt was the deputy director of the FBI. Mr. Holland, how are you, sir? Good. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Um, I know we, we, you know, you could probably discuss this for hours and hours and hours. Can you tell us, at least in general parameters, about Mark Felt, who he was? Just assume most of us don't know and what his role was in Watergate. Okay. Uh, Mark Felt joined the Bureau in the 40s. It was a huge expansion of the Bureau in anticipation of the war, tracking down, uh, you know, Nazi collaborators, saboteurs, and the like. Um, also, fears about Japanese. So it was a tremendous expansion of the Bureau. J. Edgar Hoover was already director, and he was still director after he turned 70. And so when he was approaching retirement, there was a, what they call the war of the FBI succession among the Felt generation to succeed Hoover and be the director for who knows how many years. And so there was a leak war between uh, these heirs to Hoover, mainly William Sullivan, to some degree, Carthage DeLoach, and Felt. The difference with the others is that they were outside the Bureau, so when they leaked derogatory information, you know, it was about what what Felt or what Sullivan did. Felt was still inside the Bureau. There was an interim director. But let, let me slow you down. They were all leaking. Leaking about what? Okay, well, Sullivan was the heir apparent, and he uh, became a little impatient with Hoover, you know, who was showing signs of senility in 1970-71. So he started leaking derogatory stories about Hoover to Evans and Novak, for example, in an effort to accelerate Hoover's, you know, getting pushed out. But Hoover didn't want to leave, and Nixon, uh, who was very friendly with Hoover, didn't but want to fire him. So he was looking to, after 1972 election, to replace Hoover. So once Hoover discovered that Sullivan was leaking to discredit Hoover, he forced Sullivan out. That's when Felt becomes the heir apparent. And he naturally assumes that Nixon's going to want to appoint someone from inside the Bureau to succeed Hoover. The Bureau is an extremely insular uh, agency. And then... But Nixon appoints, when Hoover suddenly dies in May 72, uh, uh, an outsider named Pat Gray. And a month later, in June 72, Watergate happens. And so what Felt is about after the break-in is leaking just enough to the newspapers so that Pat Gray looks like he doesn't have control of the Bureau, and therefore will influence Nixon to turn to an insider, namely William Mark Felt, to run the Bureau like Hoover did. So his leaks, uh, you have to remember that Watergate wasn't a campaign issue. I mean, people just didn't care. It didn't affect Nixon's polls at all. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it didn't at all. And so Felt could leak to the Washington Post, you know, the fabled Bob Woodward, but he also leaked to a Time magazine reporter named Sandy Smith, who was much more trusted. 
and much more known commodity by people in the Bureau. Mm-hmm. And the, actually, some of the more important stories appeared in time. It's just that they never got as much credit as the Washington Post. Let, let me ask you a question while we're at this point. Mm-hmm. He was at the center of this investigation. In other words, every, things would cross his desk, right, with the FBI. He was the deputy director. He could see whatever he wanted to see, I take it. Right, and it was enhanced by the fact that Pat Gray absented himself from the investigation. He wanted to leave it in the hands of the professionals because he knew it was politically sensitive. He didn't want to anger the Nixon White House with, you know, pressing the investigation forward, but he also knew he had to win Senate confirmation, and if he were nominated, the Democrats would vote on that nomination, and if the Bureau's investigation hadn't been thorough, you know, he might not win confirmation. So he was sort of caught between a rock and a hard place, and his way of dealing with with it was to leave it in the hands of the professionals, namely Mark Felt. Mm-hmm. Did you ever talk to Mark Felt? No. By the time I started getting interested in the story, uh, he already had dementia, so uh, there was really no point in talking to him. I mean, one day he'd admit his, he was mar- uh, deep throat, the next day he'd deny it. Uh, but I read his book, and his book is his autobiography. It's unintentionally revealing. I mean, his his you know good high opinion of himself. It just comes across in the pages like you you wouldn't believe. And when when we come back, if I can keep you after the bottom of the hour, what is it that that motivated you? to jump into this because the narrative pretty much was quite different than one you're telling me you're telling us here that he was basically a disgruntled deputy director who wanted to be director and he was if I'm, you'll tell me if I'm mischaracterizing it after the bottom of the hour and he wasn't happy about it <clears throat> and so among other things there was some payback here against the president and so forth these weren't all altruistic leaks on his part you'll tell me if I've if I've said that correctly or not And we'll be right back. This is America's Constitutional Convention. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Max Holland. Uh, The book is Leak, Why Mark Felt Became Deep Throat. Was I... uh... Well, let me ask you it this way. Um, was he a guy who wanted to get even with Nixon? No. He wasn't disgruntled. He was maybe disappointed. But he's try- Nixon is this, the only person who's going to appoint him FBI director. He doesn't want to ruin his presidency. He needs Nixon. So he's just leaking to show that Pat Gray isn't right for the job and that Nixon needs an insider who knows how to run the bureau like Hoover ran it. So the idea that he was doing it for exalted reasons, he was protecting the presidency from Nixon or protecting the FBI from Nixon, is hogwash. So he wasn't out to get Nixon. He needed Nixon, is your point. But but here's what I don't understand, then. How would Nixon put all this together if he thought, I mean... He says you say he wanted to show that 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 Gray was a bad guy. Gray couldn't do the job, but the, that doesn't mean Nixon would pick Mark Felt. But you feel he had a better shot at it then? 
Well, he, there's one conversation in which Haldeman tells Nixon, you know, Pat, uh, uh, Mark Felt is very ambitious, and he'll do a good, he'll be our boy if we appoint him. This is when they're complaining about the leaks that are coming from the FBI and Pat Gray's inability to stop them. So he was the natural uh, fallback position person. Did they ever suspect him? Oh, yeah. In fact, that's why I started getting interested in the subject, because there's a conversation on October, in, in mid, uh, late October 1972, shortly before the election, in which Haldeman reports that we now know who's been leaking from the FBI. It's Mark Felt, and Nixon is astonished. He can't understand why Felt would do it, since he'd been trying to ingratiate himself. And they, Nixon says, is he Jewish? Is he a Sikh closet liberal? Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, And it takes him a while to figure out why Felt has been doing it, because they're just completely flabbergasted. So at some point they conclude it's Felt then, correct? Absolutely. One, among others, yeah. Absolutely, and in and fact, this set me off on the book, because I couldn't understand why Nixon didn't fire Felt's ass right away. And why didn't he? He was afraid that Felt would show up on one of the national TV networks and spill the beans about, you know, the wrongdoing, uh, especially the wiretaps and the break-in at Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office, because Felt knew all that. And so they were worried that he would spill the beans. This is, you know, months before all that came out. Did Felt ever blackmail them? I don't mean financially, but did he ever threaten them? No, but he told Bob Woodward that Pat Gray was blackmailing him, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was one of the biggest lies he told Woodward. You portray, just based on our short discussion, Pat Gray as kind of an innocent victim here. Well, he was, uh, you know, I mean, the FBI under Hoover was, a, you know, someone described it to me as a den of pestilence. I mean... You have to realize uh, it was, you know, Hoover was the closest thing to the cult of personality we've ever had in an important federal agency, and he had been there for 50 years almost. And the ass-kissing and the psychophancy and the lying, you know, was just unbelievable. And Nixon was right in the sense that it needed an outsider to clean it all up because it had very unhealthy things going on so uh, in that sense uh, it was it's kind of a one-off situation i mean it's uh, and the people who were you know jockeying to s- succeed hoover it was a no hold barge you know knife in your back atmosphere you know they do anything felt believed it was a once in a lifetime opportunity for him it was do or die now or never and he would do anything you know he one of the reasons Gray was surprised by Felt's perfidy is that uh, he was, you know, kissing Gray's ass and telling him he was a breath of fresh air and the best director they've ever had and all these other things. And, you know, behind his back, he was saying he was an idiot. He didn't know what he was doing. Well, let me let me ask you this. I know you don't think Comey's deep throat and all that. I don't want to really go there. That doesn't interest me. I'll tell you what does interest me, Max. Mm-hmm. Can you see a scenario in which this kind of, well, it's apparently there's a lot of leaking going on now. Would that surprise you? No, that's that's how Washington survives on leaks. Information se- is senior know. senior levels of the FBI. I mean, a lot of the American, a lot of us here, a lot of the 
American public, they just assume better behavior when you have this much power. We wrong? Uh, yeah, everybody leaks. I mean, uh, you know, there's a famous story about Clinton when he first came into the White House and they were not leaking and he was getting a lot of bad press and said that they brought in that Nixon old-timer, I forget his name at the moment, but he... Gergen? Yeah. How did I know? David yes, Gergen. Right. Yes. He quickly instructed them, if you don't leak, the press is going to be ravenous, and you know it has to be fed. The press is a beast, and it has to be fed, and you have to know how to leak you know, for positive, uh, to get positive press. So it, it's an art, and the Bureau was particularly good at it, you know, nasty leaks against people it didn't like. But... Uh, to some degree, all the bureaus, agencies of the government do it. I mean, the press survives or thrives on leaks. And it's important to understand in stories, you know, where the information is coming from. Now, all that said, uh, I was astonished when Comey owned up to his leak. I have been in Washington for 40 years. Because he was about to get caught. He was He was testifying under oath. He didn't want to commit perjury, I don't think. Right. That's true, but it was still remarkable that he owned up to it. I mean, I agree with you, he owned up to it because it would have looked worse if they had established that he did leak, but he fessed up before. So he's he's a very, I mean, you don't rise to become director of the FBI, at least most of the time, unless you're a pretty shrewd operator. I mean, uh, you know, but that's different from uh, leaking to destroy a president Now, tell me a little bit about your background. I confess that I started reading your book, but I, don't, I didn't really dig into your background much. I'm sure the audience is very fascinated with you. Well, I'm, uh, you could say I'm from the left. I was a columnist. But we don't really care about that. But go ahead. Give us your background. Uh, well, I grew up in Los Angeles, went to Antioch College, knocked around for a bit, went into journalism. I've been in Washington since '76. I was a columnist for The Nation magazine in the 80s, and then I left to write books. And most of my books are about intelligence, Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy assassination, Watergate. That's All right, so you wrote for The Nation, which means you are the man of the left. That's very interesting. And yet this piqued your interest, and yet you would think a guy like you, would try and put your finger on the scale, and you didn't put your finger on the scale. You were really trying to figure out what took place here, weren't you? Yeah, well, I like to think I, I grew up a little since I was a polemicist. I'm not so much interested in polemics as the facts. Mm-hmm. Now, Woodward, I read a little bit of this, Woodward came around to agreeing to some of what you wrote, but he can't buy into all of it. Is that correct? Well, he's been very squirrely. He's, uh, I mean, one of the other things that attracted me to the subject was his varying explanations about Felt. You know, and all the president's men felt was trying to protect the presidency from Nixon. Later in The Secret Man, Woodward said Felt was trying to protect, you know, the Constitution or the FBI against uh, Nixon. And then at his eulogy, when Felt died, uh, felt was the ultimate truth teller, and all of those are, you know, have a certain degree of, of uh, BS attached to them. And 
I became suspicious when it seemed like his explanation of felt was so expedient and tied to whatever the immediate circumstances was. And Woodward is a very slick fellow, I found. I mean, the, the most difficult interview I probably ever had in my career was with him. For the what book. about Bernstein? Did you ever talk to him? I did, but, uh, you know, they're kind of joined at the hip and felt only dealt with Woodward, so there was, you know, to talk to Bernstein about Felt was sort of getting a second-hand information. So I went directly to uh, Woodward and, you know, just ha had the, my questions for him. You're not impressed with him, are you? Well, I think he's his reputation is so large because of the movie, you know, being played by Bob uh, Robert Redford will do wonders for your career. And I, I wasn't a great fan of his before. I never found his books, uh, you know, they always seemed to me flat. I mean, there was, he just threw a lot of facts out there and you were supposed to interpret them and understand what was going on. And his sources could be, you know, hidden. But um, since then, I guess my opinion of him has taken a turn for the worse because I think he's been very dishonest about felt i mean he's supposed to be the world's greatest investigative reporter yet the most obvious thing about this is there was a you know just a a nasty internecine battle to succeed hoover and it sort of you know he doesn't recognize that it completely went over his head and i think it's either you know it's very convenient for him what 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 kind of sources did you use i mean i know you've written about this but tell everybody well, I use the Nixon tapes. Uh, you know, they're very important because they show what, you know, for example, that Nixon learned felt was leaking in October 72. That's, you couldn't write the book if you didn't know that. Um, I use the Nixon tapes, the Watergate Special Prosecutor's report, the papers of the Watergate Special Prosecutor, uh, you know, the books that have been written, Felt's book, of course, which is inadvertently revealing. Um, and then a lot of documents I got through the Freedom of Information Act from the FBI. Probably the most important was the FBI's investigation post-Watergate of the leaks. They themselves realized Felt was the culprit. Of course, they weren't going to advertise that for public consumption, but they, they early on figured out it was him. We're running out of time, but I find this incredibly fascinating. Um... The reception of your book, it's been out a while now, but the reception of your book, did you get many interviews on Meet the Press or Face the Nation or This Week or any shows like that? Well, that's interesting. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to complain, of course, but if, uh, I didn't get reviewed in the Washington Post when they wrote an article. My, I, my book was timed with the 40th anniversary. When they wrote an article trying to sum up you know, the most significant developments that we've understood since Watergate, they completely left my book out of the picture, although I think it's pretty substantial work. Uh, I tried to be at the museum, but was blocked by people who were not interested in overturning the, you know, the fabulistic interpretation of Watergate and the press's role in it. Um, so I've been shut out of certain. So they w they want to keep this narrative out there, don't they? Right. I mean, uh, journalists, you know, want to bask in the reflected glory, and 
you know, all the president's men, even though it it doesn't bear much relationship to what really went on. Well, this is fascinating to me, and I think to my audience, uh, Max Holland, and I want to thank you for coming on the program. And the book is Leak, Why Mark Felt Became Deep Thrill. We'll plop it up there on my social sites, okay? Okay. Make sure your publisher prints a few copies. Okay. All right. God bless. Take care. When I started reading this book, I thought it was fascinating, reading about this book. So I wanted you to hear about this Uh, because, yes, there's a lot of leaking that goes on, and yes, at the top levels of the FBI. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I think his book is fascinating, too. Dallas, 11 degrees. New York, 9 degrees. Minneapolis, minus 2 degrees. Winter is in full swing, and your HVAC system is working overtime. Now, if you aren't properly maintaining your filters, you're not only breathing unhealthy air, you just might find yourself with no heat and thousands in repairs. Now, there's a better way. With FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. FilterBuy.com carries over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all ship-free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America by a family family that owns the business. It's a small business. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options, all the way up to hospital-grade, So you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system. And right now, you can save 5% when you set up auto-delivery. Now, that means you never need to think about air filters again. You never need to go search for them. You just do it. Save money, save time, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. And by the way, CT shirts. Do you have your CT shirt yet? Here's some solid career advice. Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Whether you're dressing for work or dressing to go out, people notice the clothes you wear. That's why I wear Charles Tirrett, which is CT shirts. We all love quality clothes. But until now, your options were brutal. It was either high-quality, ridiculously overpriced shirts or affordable, out-of-style shirts that wrinkle the minute you put them on, right? CT shirts are the best shirts in my closet. They're British-styled using the softest fabrics. They're the most exquisitely crafted, crease-free shirts I've ever worn, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked. You'll get compliments in a CT shirt. Now, here's the deal I got for you. One CT shirt normally costs 100 bucks. Right now, you'll get three. Three shirts for just $99. That's 60% off, and CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. 99 bucks for three amazing CT shirts, but you need to hurry. So go to ctshirts.com slash Levin. ctshirts.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's ctshirts.com slash Levin. I have a question for you. Now that you know that I was rooting for the Eagles in the Super Bowl, I'm, I'm, we'll carry this over to the next hour. 
Does that diminish your desire to listen to my show? Does it increase your desire to listen to my show? Should I try and walk a narrow line like so many hosts do where you really don't know where they stand or or they stand on both sides of the same you know, line and so forth and so on? And why would it matter to you anyway? Given my philosophy, given my discussion of history and economics, given our association and so forth, does it bother you? I mean, by the way, I've barely talked about it since they won the Super Bowl, which is a big, big deal. You know my father, Jack. He's he's going to be 93 in June. This is the first Super Bowl the Eagles have had. It's the first Super Bowl victory. 52 years of Super Bowls. And I very much wanted him to see it, too. And my Julie and I call him on the phone after the Super Bowl, and he wins. And she says to him, well, what do you think? The Eagles won. And he said, well, they better win. I wore their jersey. (laughs) He's not wearing the jersey, although he wore the cap. I'm curious to know, really. Now, trust me, we got serious stuff here, too. And I'm going to be on Hannity in, what, an hour and a half, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I hope you'll watch. Um to get into this stuff in a very significant way because it is important for the republic, you know? But on the other hand, I'm curious to know your thoughts about that, too. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Somebody should do a word count on how many times the media mentioned Donald Trump's name for any reason. Versus how many times they mention Barack Obama's name. They are so obsessed with destroying this man. There's simply no question about it. But I really want you to think about these things that we're talking about tonight. Because they go to the heart of the republic. In my view, in addition to a special counsel, there should be a blue ribbon commission that is set up to get to the bottom of policy issues as relates to uh, what took place and is taking place at the highest levels of the FBI and Justice Department, as well as our intelligence agencies, the unprecedented unmasking of American citizens, the gathering of so-called incidental intelligence, the, uh, the, the unprecedented amount of leaking related to these investigations. And this isn't a joke. There should be a special counsel that looks into potential criminal violations, and there ought to be this commission that tries to determine non-criminal issues from a policy perspective to get to the bottom of it. That's how bad this is. Moreover, I don't know what's going on with the FISA court. I don't know what's going on with the FISA court, but the judge or judges on that court should be holding the FBI and DOJ to account. And they should be holding hearings, I suppose, in secret to get to the bottom of this. And if in fact, as a matter of fact, 
these judges or judge was misled, and they were, they should hold the department and the FBI in contempt. Now, you need an order to be held in contempt. They got their order, a warrant. And some of the lawyers involved in this really should have their uh, licenses pulled, at least be investigated from an ethics perspective. The Praetorian Guard media, they're protecting the leakers. This is the source of information that they get. And even more than that, they agree with the leakers. So the irony is, while they're gathering classified information, secret FISA court information that was leaked to them that we talked about 10, 11 months ago, then they beat their chests about the Nunes document as if that provides classified information. There's no classified information in that document. There's no national security violations in that document. Just absolute, unhinged lying. Day in and day out about this stuff. What did the president know and when did he know it? Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. FBI Director James Comey. Deputy FBI Director McCabe. No question. Susan Rice, the director of the NSC. Ben Rhodes, the deputy director of the NSC. That None of them knew anything? Well, we know. Many of them knew everything. Right? So the applications that were filed with the appropriate redactions of classified information should be made public. The daily presidential briefings, the intelligence committees should look at the relevant briefings to determine exactly officially what the president was provided with. We know that he uh, he had available to him the various news accounts and so forth. So what's the bottom line of all this? The bottom line is that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC paid for the information that was used by the FISA court to issue a warrant against the Trump campaign, even though the FBI didn't disclose the source of the information. Now that is frightening. Absolutely frightening. We'll take some calls. I've been talking a lot here. Let us go to Jack, Indianapolis, Indiana, the great WFDM. Go! Hey, Mark. Great to talk to you tonight. I just wanted to share some words with you uh, uh, from uh, the Irish uh, political philosopher Edmund Burke. Uh, oh, yes. I listen to your program. I love love your show. Uh, uh, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I'm just glad to hear you on your own fire for for the country and what's right and and it's it's just it's just phenomenal some of the some of the uh the people that come on and talk on your program caller earlier uh, it's just great listening to to facts you can turn on local news and hear nonsense and you can just tell that it's all being fed to them and they're just they're like puppets on strings but to hear you and and, and some of your callers calling in it, it's just it's inspiring well, thank you. I appreciate that, Jack. And you take care of yourself. I hear this phrase, live and local. Well, most of the live and local hosts do what? 70, 80% live and national, which is why I joke and we have our line about live and national. But local hosts are important, too. Local news is important, too. Everybody just can't do national stuff all the time. But we do here, and we appreciate it. Chris Rutland, Vermont, the great WSYB. Go. Mark, thank you very much for taking the phone call. I'm uh, the you great bet. one. Number one, we'd start with one fact that 
thank you for being brave enough to not only go on your radio show and expose basically the spying from the Obama State Department and the Obama-controlled FBI, but you were also brave enough to go on Fox and Friends with Pete Hegseth the next day. You remember, right, sir? Oh, yes. Yeah. Listen, Mark, I saw that episode there, That that and they, I think they actually held you through the break, and you stayed on a little bit longer. It was beautiful, Mark. That's why we need people like you in this country to push the truth. Now, a couple quick bulletins, okay? How yes, can we fight against the liberal media as far as, like, Brian Stelter from the so-called, what I like to say, unreliable sources saying that Sean Hannity won and America lost? Because basically that I consider that grouping him, you, and, like, Breitbart News and a lot of other conservative media outlets. All right, let me, I can only speak for myself. And, of course, Sean's a very, very dear friend of mine. But I can tell you, Brian Stelter is a complete horse's ass. He's a complete clown. Uh, in March, when I was discussing this uh, on the radio, he kept begging me to come on his show, and I said, why would I come on your show? I mean, it's not like we're actually going to have an opportunity to discuss this stuff. He is an apparatchik. If he were in the old Soviet Union, he would be a, a, a state media personality. Uh, in this country, he is a state media personality because... The Democrats and the left control the meat, uh, control the uh, bureaucracy and the, many of the uh, uh, courtrooms in this country. I mean, uh, Trump's election was unexpected, very unwelcome by CNN and MSNBC and the progressive movement, and they're trying to uh, put an end to it. Uh, he is a very dumb guy. He is not in any respect inquisitive like a journalist ought to be. And you might remember, Chris, that at the time uh, he was doing his little slime job and Jake Tapper was doing his little slime job, but in particular him. And I wrote an open letter to him, and I said, you don't even have any curiosity about FISA. And he said, well, you can't prove it. It's not a matter of a fact. Well, of course, <clears throat> I explained exactly what I was doing. I was citing other news sources. They may not have been prominent. They may not have been ubiquitous, but they were there that this was going on, this leaking was going on. And he preferred to attack me, so I wrote an open letter eviscerating him rather than digging into it. So all I would do is spread the word that he is absolutely unreliable. He's basically a left-wing kook. It's what he is. All right, my friend, I really appreciate it. Stay warm in Vermont. Now, there's something else I want to remind you of before I take a few more calls here. The changing narrative, they changed it on a dime. They were getting leaks from the top levels of the FBI. We think we know who now, among whom we think we know, and printing it to smear Trump. To smear Trump before the general election, and then to smear Trump during the transition period, and before his inauguration. What happened on March 2nd, 5th, and 6th, when I started to put together all these leaks, is they reversed course. They changed their tactic. They thought all this stuff would damage Trump, and then when I said, wait, look at all this stuff. Look what's being leaked. FISA information's being leaked. FISA, court, decisions, information appear to be leaked. What else is being leaked? Surveillance of Trump Tower. Now, Trump called it a wiretap. Who cares what he called it? He could call it a canary. A, a, a espionage is espionage. And so while we didn't have exact information provided to us, detailed to us, because our sources weren't leaks from the FBI, 
But we looked at the New York Times. I did. I saw what they said. And so when I started to point out and string together their police state tactics on domestic political surveillance, they reversed course. No longer were they having a blast smearing Trump with the leaks. Then they decided, wait a minute, he's on to something with these police state tactics. We cannot let him position it that way. And I wasn't positioning. I was just laying it out. Then they went on the attack. Then they went on the attack. But they're not going to intimidate me at this point. We have a very, very courageous chairman, Mr. Nunes, who I've been supporting now for quite some time. And I do want to say this, and I mean it earnestly. All the radio talk show hosts and all the TV talk show hosts who sat back and wanted to see how this played out in the earliest days, who had fear to get involved, who didn't want to come to my defense, even including some friends, all of them, you should have learned from this. You should have learned from this. Now, of course, they're in the front of the line patting themselves on the head. I don't know what for, but it is better to have them now participating in this than being AWOL. And they were AWOL for the longest time. They're really a handful of, uh, of us carrying the ball here and pushing, pushing, pushing and giving the kind of support to Nunes and others on the Intel Committee who needed it. While others were hanging back, waiting to see, because this, this is a business where you, uh, uh, let me leave that alone. Or let me say this, there are a lot of wonderful, smart people in this business. There's also cowards who wait and see and then spring. Let's continue. Jim, Oakland, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Hey, listen, where the heck is this judge? I cannot believe there's a FISA judge walking out there. He's walking the planet. He's eating dinner. He's watching TV. He's got friends he's talking to. Where is this guy? I mean, you know, he's he, he had the Justice Department come up, lie straight to his face, manipulate him, make a fool out of his court and take the whole FISA warrant thing and jeopardize it. And and where is he? How can he's not slinging these guys in front of him, throwing contempt charges at him? Why isn't this being put on the news? You need to tell Sean to put this on the news. <laughs> well, I don't I don't tell him what to do, but I'm talking about it myself, and uh, it's something that I've raised before and I'll raise again. But let me tell you something, Jim. This is important, what you're saying, because if the FISA court doesn't step up, then the FISA court was manipulated to do what it did, and the American people will continue to lose faith in the judiciary. Uh, the FISA court is the only check that exists between rogue operators like Comey, like McCabe, like Strzok, like Page, like all of them, and the rest of us. They're it. And remember something. <clears throat> they had to try and make the case to this judge that Carter Page was a Russian agent. Now, I don't know this guy. Maybe he's a clown. Maybe he's a Mr. Professor. I don't know anything about him. But a Russian agent? Well, if they can make the case that he's a Russian agent, why don't they make the case now that he's a Russian agent, Jim? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, Sean. Or, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, Mark. Yes. Uh, yeah, sorry. Here, here's the other point. Is I think at this point, protecting sources and methods is way less more is way less important than the damage that's being done. Well, you know what the funny thing is? We know their source and method. Hillary Clinton's campaign in the DNC 
paid for trash, which was then turned into, in part, an application uh, to to um, to conduct a spying on a uh, on a putative member of the Trump campaign or tra- transition team. Well, I think the entire thing needs to be declassified. Everything, every let every scrap come out. I think that Trump needs to get it do an Oval Office address, say I'm declassifying this. The damage that's being done by this is is heinous to this country. I'm going to declassify it and let the chips fall where they may. And I, I really think it's important. I, I've dealt with classified information my entire career, Mark, and I, I know sources and methods. And there's nothing in here that is anything close to damaging. No. Yeah, real no, you're damage. right. It's embarrassing, not damaging. You're right. All right, my friend, appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let us go to Jesse, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. How are you? Uh, Mr. Lovin, thank you. I'd like to thank you for giving me an education beyond what I had because... You know, I'm just a high school graduate, but I feel like I know more than most college students now as far as the Constitution and everything. Well, you're very but kind. Thank you. I, I am a diehard Cowboys fan. Trust me. <laughs> it kills me to admit that I'm happy for you because I was. I was hoping for you. I was praying for you. Now, hold on. Now, hold on. Were you, you were rooting for the Eagles because of, for me, or did you want them to win? No, I didn't want them to win. You didn't so, give a damn one way or the other. Probably. But I, I did it for you because I know. I, you got to remember, I'm a Dallas native, yeah. so yeah. I, I trust me. My Mavericks got the one win from a German. How yeah, crazy right. is that? Dirk Nowitzki, right. you know what I'm saying? But yes, anyway, I yes. so I know what it means to get the first win because once you get the first win, now you got a chance to get the second win. And I think that's what's happening in America right now. Well, let me ask you something. Is Dallas strengthening its team right now or not? What's that? I said I feel like people think once you get the first win, you can keep winning. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but here's my question to you, your team, Dallas. Are they going to be getting any better? All of a sudden, somebody else had a chance, and they uh, won. Even... The Eagles, who had never won, like you said, your town. You love your town. With all the winners, all the ones, it was, the, the, for some reason, it's a football town, and you never won the, the championship. And yeah. finally they did. To prove it, that boom, that's right, y'all are a football town, and congratulations to you and all your Eagles fans as a Cowboy fan, a diehard, like I said, I didn't watch the Super Bowl at all. I heard a little <laughs> bit of it, so I know. Pretty, it was pretty good. You would have liked it, I think. I, I would have, and I'm sorry. I apologize. Ah, uh, you don't need to. All right, Jess. Appreciate your call, man. It's a fascinating game. Uh, Rich, did you watch it, Mr. Producer? And you're a Steelers guy. Which half did you watch? I hope the second half. The first half in the end. Well, what'd you think? It was a good game. I liked now, it. Why, why would you watch the first half in the end? I had to drive the kids home. It was bedtime. Oh, it was bedtime. Okay. Yours or the kids? <laughs> Both. All right. I'll bet you Atlanta was rooting for them. People in Atlanta. I bet people in Seattle. You know, it's not the first time the Eagles have faced New England, you know. 
All right, nobody cares. I care. All right, folks, don't forget, one hour from now, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, it's going to be live, so I don't know what's going to happen. I will be on Fox, Sean Hannity's TV show. I hope you'll watch. I'm going to be sprinting from the radio bunker into the Levin TV bunker to be on Hannity on Fox in one hour. I'll be right back. A champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Valentine's bouquets come in all shapes and prices. But how do you know which one's best when there's so many out there to choose from? Now, for me, it's simple. 1-800-Flowers.com is my Valentine's go-to. And right now, when you order early... You can get 24 multicolored roses for only $29.99. Or upgrade to 24 romantic red roses for only $10 more. It's an unbelievable Valentine's offer from 1-800-Flowers. 24 multicolored roses for $29.99 or upgrade to red roses, only $10 more. Now these beautiful, gorgeous bouquets of red or multicolored roses are the perfect Valentine's surprise. And she's guaranteed to love them. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. 24 multicolored roses for only $29.99 or upgrade 24 red roses for just $10 more. It's the perfect reward for thinking ahead. Just pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. When it comes to Valentine's, I don't settle for anything less than my rose authority. 1-800-Flowers.com. So one more time, to order 24 multicolored roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more, go right now to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on that radio icon and enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Order today and save. 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN, 1-800-Flowers.com. Code L-E-V-I-N. All right. By the way, Levin TV. Tonight's show, all the show, not just the clips, is 100% free. So you can check out how Levin TV works, whether you like it, as part of our CRTV network. And also you can uh, you can watch the substance of the show. is very, very important. Now, we're doing something special because my two-year anniversary with Levin TV is on March, what is it, 6th or 7th, something like that, right, Rich? And what CRTV's decided to do, people think I own CRTV. I don't own CRTV. I'm a working stiff for CRTV. We started it around Levin TV. And we have record numbers of subscribers now. What we're doing What the brass is doing is they said, well, tell you what, in celebration of your coming to your anniversary, we'll take 20 bucks, 20% off the subscription price. Just use code Levin TV, code Levin TV. So what you can do in honor of that date, March 7th it is actually, 
We've set up $20 off for new Levin TV customers with promo code Levin TV. So feel free to check us out. Go to CRTV.com. Use promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N, 2. L-E-V-I-N, 2. Uh, or you can call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV, and say promo code LEVIN2, the number 2, LEVIN2, and get the 20 bucks off. But Mark, I'm already subscribing. Then you can get it as a gift for somebody. You can get uh, your family involved in it all. I think you'll love it. I mean, we are growing, and we're growing quickly, and I consider it our conservative national town hall meeting on LEVIN TV, and I very much want you to join us. Okay. Eduardo, Gainesville, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Good evening, Mr. Levine. Um, Good evening. The reason for my call is that I'm, I'm trying to uh, see if you can help me understand what I'm hearing from many uh, TV news outlets. Is that yes. the, 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 uh, Hold on now. That the, might be very, very tough because I still have my senses. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, the uh, uh, Republicans are saying that the Mueller investigation is not uh, being affected whatsoever by the release of this memo from the uh, Intelligence Committee in the House of Representatives. But for me, it has everything to do with it, mm-hmm. because because everything was based on a lie, something they mm-hmm. fabricated in order to mm-hmm. put this guy you know, to investigate Trump on this collusion that su- supposedly the Democrats think uh, it happened. But he never did. We all know that it was a lie. And why do represent these uh, Republicans? I keep saying this has nothing to do. I don't care about appearances. I want the truth. No, I don't want the truth. I demand it. I want to get to the bottom of this. Why don't they say it? This has everything to do with it, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. I think you're quite right. uh, Because they don't have any guts, that's why. And you're exactly right. The whole special counsel investigation, such as it is, uh, was triggered as a result of this propaganda, this disinformation campaign that I've been talking about since March 2nd. It's an old-style Soviet campaign. So they're moving it on different tracks. They're trying to create an environment for impeachment, as I've been saying over and over and over again, where they hope they take the House, and they also have tried to criminalize this issue. And the amazing part about this is, There was no issue to criminalize. And you have this guy, Rob Rosenstein, who's now the favorite, the latest favorite among the media and their Democrat uh, supporters, because turns out we know from the Nunes member that he signed an extension of the FISA warrant, even knowing that that dossier had to be the bulk or a big chunk of it in order to get that warrant. He's also the guy that appoints the special counsel, in this case, Mueller. And he's up there testifying, thoroughly misleading Congress. When he was asked repeatedly about the dossier being used for a FICE application, he said things like, well, we'll wait for the IG report. And so he knew that it was. He knew that it was used. All right, Eduardo, thank you for your call, my friend. Excellent call. Let's go to Robert, Hollandale Beach in Florida. On uh, Mark, I don't know how you're listening. On the Levin app. Okay, got it. Go right ahead, sir. Good afternoon, Professor. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I am I am United States citizen for 25 years, originally right. from Soviet Union. All right. I would like to share with your audience 
my observation in three brief points. Number one, Democrat Party in the United States is absolutely similar to what I was watching for all my life in Soviet Union, Communist Party. Absolutely the same methods, absolutely the same goals, absolutely the same propaganda. Number two, we need to understand who of FBI officers have been on the low-level position providing Clinton in the first campaign against Bob Dow with the FBI files for Republicans leaked to Bill Clinton. Who of them has been promoted to the high level of FBI by Clinton? Now, just to remind the audience, there were a thousand FBI files found in the White House under Clinton. Go ahead. And number three, to reinstate our democracy, we need televised process where all these people will be in the court behind bars. Okay, thank you. Well, we have to draw the line there. You don't... Okay. We don't have people behind bars in court. I know I've used to seeing those pictures, folks, where they do that sort of thing. Uh, I want to play this for you. Hat tip to our friends uh, at Right Scoop. Victoria Newland on Face the Nation, a.k.a. Deface the Nation, uh, on Sunday. I want you to listen very, very carefully to this. Okay? Cut five. Go. Congressman uh, Gowdy said they now have concerns about the State Department. You served there until recently. Do you know what he's talking about? I don't. I look forward to to hearing what he's talking about. I will tell you, though, Margaret, that uh, during the Ukraine crisis in 2014 and 15, uh, Chris Steele had a number of commercial clients who were asking him for reports on what was going on in Russia, what was going on in Ukraine, what was going on between them. Uh, Chris had a friend at the State Department, and he offered us that reporting uh, free so that we could also benefit from it. It was one of, you know, hundreds of sources that we were using to try to understand what was going on. Uh, Then in the middle of July, when he was doing this other work and became concerned, the dossier, the dossier, uh, he passed uh, two to four pages of short points of what he was finding. And our immediate reaction to that was, this is not in our purview. This needs to go to the FBI if there is any concern here that one candidate or the election as a whole uh, might be influenced by the Russian Federation. That's for the something for the FBI to investigate. Uh, and that was our reaction when we saw this. It's not our, our we can't evaluate this. Uh, and frankly, if every member of the campaign who the Russians tried to approach and tried to influence had gone to the FBI as well in real time, we not, might not be in the mess we're in today. Oh, aren't you something? Was Christopher Steele doing Russia's bidding? Why would he go to the Russian apparatchiks for opposition research, hand it to McCain and his people, push it out to the media, like BuzzFeed, among others, pushed it out to the State Department in summary form, pushed it out to other media outlets, Pushed it out directly to the FBI. I think this whole narrative that Vladimir Putin wanted Trump to be president of the United States has been a fake and a fraud from day one. That they clearly wanted Hillary Clinton. They could get stuff from Hillary Clinton. She's anti-defense. She's anti-border security. Uh, she's a pushover. 
I've never understood this argument that the Russians wanted Trump. And so all we heard about was the financial connections to the Russians. What financial connections are so compelling? Uh, they had a meeting, they this, that. I mean, it's, it's all static. So I've never bought this stuff that the Russians wanted uh, Trump to win. I think the Russians wanted Hillary to win. Doesn't mean they weren't causing trouble with the DNC and tried to cause it with the RNC, because that's what they do. That's what they do. They're thugs over there in the uh, Vladimir Putin house. But that's the way it is. But based on what's been going on, I think the Russians wanted Hillary. And uh, and why wouldn't they? It's like the Iranians wanted Obama. Why wouldn't they? The Cubans wanted Obama. All these sort of uh, theocratic third world regimes, backward regimes, dictatorships, communist regimes, they all wanted Hillary. Why the hell wouldn't they? Uh, let us go to uh, Steve, Springfield, Massachusetts, on the Mark Levin app. I'm sorry, Steve, but you can't win them all. Go right ahead, sir. Well, how you doing, Mark? Um, it, this is a great honor. Um, Thank you. you. Know, this, is, this is a brief thing. I, I was really riveted by your uh, dissertation on Hegel the other day, um, and it really opened up a lot of things. The, the, I, I really think the Democrats are like utilitarians. In other words, you know, any me, any and uh, any. Any any means justifies the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think they use whatever political tools are at their disposal. <laughs> you know, and, and this whole Russian thing is crazy. I mean, the, the FISA warrant they applied for it three weeks before the election. I really think that they probably were spying on Trump for quite a while, and this was kind of like their way to cover themselves in case he won. Uh, well, they were doing it for some reason, and. Uh I can't believe that this Carter pay. Have you seen any evidence whatsoever? This has been going on forever. Or anything even leaked that suggests that this guy Carter Page, who as I say I've never met or spoken to in my life, is a Russian agent? I, I know. It's totally crazy. But your other caller was right. I mean, the, the Clintons have been in bed with the FBI for a long time, going back like 30 years. Like, like your other caller was saying about the, the FBI files they took. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been following them for a long time and, uh, you know, just as a casual news observer. And, uh, I mean, if I wrote a book on Hillary, I'd have to have an index on the back of, on all the laws that she violated. Yeah, true. All right, Steve, thanks for your call, my friend. John, Tampa, Florida, Sirius Satellite, go. Hey, hi, hi, Mark. God bless you and all your, your great work and your patriotism. Um, you too. Thank you. Here, here's the deal, the way I see it. I'm just a kid from Detroit, uh, <laughs> business guy. Um, it's so evident. All the pieces are on the floor. The puzzle's there in front of all of us. We have to stop. Of course, you're doing a great job, and so is everybody else, analyzing this and microanalyzing it and so on and so forth. But we have to just stop and say, hey, what if we put all the pieces together, which we're doing, and think of it only one way? It's, a one, it's only one lane. They thought she was going to win. They, so all this aftermath that we're seeing, if we put the puzzle together, it's they had no idea so that that she was going to lose. They set everything up so she would win. Well, of course she didn't. And uh, so the 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 judges in the tank, the FISA judge, just like DOJ, FBI. Unfortunately, hate to say it, but that's the truth. And and uh, like your earlier caller said, every they got their hands in every department. 
and it's deeper than we think. But the bottom line is pride go, uh, go up before destruction and a hearty spirit before fall. They absolutely, arrogance, Obama, Hillary, the whole crew, the whole secret society, they, they did not want Trump to win. And All right, my friend, got to go. I missed the clock here. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. For 2018, I've got them, but I can only achieve them if I'm well-rested. And thankfully, I have a Casper mattress helping me get a great night's sleep. The Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and comfort so you feel perfectly balanced. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep coolly. Plus, the mattresses are built to last for many years. Basically, since I've gotten my Casper, I've gotten the best sleep ever. So I know 2018 is going to be a great year. Try Casper yourself for 100 nights in your own home, risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a compact box. Plus, if you don't love it, you don't have to put it back in the tiny box. They come pick it up and refund you everything, no questions asked. Start your year off right with a guaranteed great night's sleep every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com slash mark and use code mark to save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash mark, then enter code mark. Get 50 bucks off the purchase of select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Don't forget, about 35 minutes or so, I will be on Hannity TV on the Fox News channel. That's 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So on the West Coast, that's 6.30 p.m. Your time. Central, uh, you know, everybody knows. I have no idea what time it would be in, say, Zimbabwe, nor do I care. So that'll be tonight. It's live. So I zoom from the radio bunker to the Levin TV bunker where we can do Hannity TV. All right. Let's see who's out there. Come on now. Come on now. Let's go. Let, oh, Henry, Mountain View, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, I, I have to say, I, I think this whole memo back and forth and, you know, Democrat, Republican memo, all that is like a total, um, it's kind of a waste of time. I Let mean, me, we only have a minute. Let me tell you why it's not. Because if you care about the Republic, uh, whichever side wins that argument will either notch up one for the Republic or notch one against the Republic. You cannot blow off the abuse of enormous federal power, the interference in a federal presidential election by one party against another, uh, by a sitting president against another candidate, and say, you know, the back and forth, it's this and that. That's easy to say. That's not what's taking place here. You have some very, very principled men and women who are trying to get to the bottom of this. It's like pulling teeth, and they're being smeared in the process. So I appreciate your call, Henry. Strongly disagree. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Folks, I will see you in 30 minutes on Fox. Check out Levin TV and see you tomorrow.